I am reading this morning from the book of Genesis, the 26th chapter, beginning at verse 17. The Bible says, And Isaac departed thence, and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar, and dwelt there. And Isaac digged again the wells of water, which they had digged in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham, and called, and he called their names after the names by which his father had called them. And Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water. And the herdmen of Gerar did strive with Isaac's herdmen, saying, This water is ours. And he called the name of the well Isaac, because they strove with him. They digged another well and strove for that also, and he called the name of it Sitna. And he removed thence and digged another well, and for that they strove not. He called the name of it Rehoboth, for he said, For now the Lord hath made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Let's pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask God for your undying help, O Lord God, to us at this hour and time of need, O Lord. God, all across the world and all across this nation, there's a a need for the revival, a great move of the Spirit of God. And that well that is flowing in this house today, I pray that it will get unstopped and it will flow, God, everywhere around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's give God a big hand. Praise. Why don't you turn and greet someone as you're being seated this morning. Welcome someone to the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. There is a well in the wilderness. The last few weeks... Our focus and attention, or at least mine, has been on the crisis in Crimea. We see how that uh, President Putin of Russia has invaded a territory that is a free democracy, stationed troops on that territory, taken over military bases, air force, airpo- airports, naval bases and is continuously moving more troops in on the ground. This is a very alarming and concerning situation for geopolitics for today for a number of reasons, but more so alarming than ever if you understand what the Bible says is in store for the world at the end of days. The United States is in a point where I have said All along, studying Bible prophecy, the United States does not appear to be a major player in the end-time events. What would happen to the greatest nation on earth in modern times that would cause that to take place where we are seeing it? The soft underbelly of a country who has lost its moral guideposts and anchors. Men who get hard over men and soft over women. A country that has gone soft morally is a country that is uh, in in danger of losing its standing in the world uh, today. And this is the state of events and affairs within our nation that we find ourselves. 
The present administration is going to cut back on the armed forces to pre-World War II levels. Never in the history of my life and in most of our lives have, will, will, will we have an army as small as what this present administration uh, is going to do in the next two years. This in the face of alarming developments in Europe. And the European Union and the NATO countries and the United Nations, all of this stuff that has gone on since World War II, where the development of the United Nations, where the development of diplomacy uh, and uh, the, the thinking, obviously, of President Obama that he can talk his way out of anything. But you don't talk a bully out of picking a fight. The only way you're going to bring that bully to heel is to stand up to him and meet him fist for fist and pound for pound. But when there is no will to resist, the strong men of the world will always take from the weak. That is human nature. That's the way it's always been. And just because we're in the 21st century does not mean that we've evolved to a higher level of human behavior. And Europe does not have any standing armies to speak of that they have depended upon the United States to supply their army and put boots on the ground in NATO countries since World War II. That's right. <clears throat> they will not be able to defend themselves, nor do they have the will to defend themselves. And while the Ukrainian people are screaming out, USA, come and save us. Europe, come and save us. We are a democracy like you. Save us. Back up your principles, United States, of inviting the world to become a free democratic government uh, that you say is the solution to the world's problems. Back it up and come and save us. But the United States is not going to gallop to the rescue, and Europe is not going to gallop to the rescue, and Putin is not done swallowing pieces Amen. of Europe wherever he can. In the George W. Bush administration, he did the same thing in Georgia moved into Georgia, now into Crimea, and from Crimea, soon the rest of the Ukraine. Poland is quaking in their boots right now. Yes. And the specter of Hitler and his invasion of World War II is playing out in their minds, and there's great fear there. For Hitler did the same thing. He took over the Ruhr Valley that, he had, that Germany had lost as a result of World War I. He invaded that in 1935 and took it over. The, France did nothing. Europe did nothing. He moved from there to uh, uh, annexing Austria and making that a part of Germany. Europe did nothing. He moved from there to invading western Czechoslovakia and using the excuse that the Sudetenland was mostly a German population and they wanted to be a part of Germany. And he moved in and he took that slice of Czechoslovakia away and his next uh, victim on the chopping block would be the nation of Poland and that would start and spark World War II and still the United States wanted nothing to do with it for two years and it took only the invasion and the attack at Pearl Harbor to bring us into that war and to finish that war. The Bible talks about another great war and an invasion coming from Russia and using satellite nations that are Europe that are Middle Eastern Arabic speaking nations today uh, to evade to invade and to attack uh, into Israel and Russia will be defeated on the West Bank and when that happens a new 
power will emerge in to fill in the power block and it will come out of the old Roman Empire and from three strong nations from Europe. And you need to watch the nation of Germany and see what is going to come out of it because somewhere, no doubt, in Germany, in my belief, will arise the Antichrist and it will be the leading of three powerful European nations that will step into the power block once Russia falls. Russia's interest is in oil and uh, it, it is the exporter of more oil than any other nation on the earth at this time. And its movements are bringing it that one step closer to Israel. If you look at a map, you'll see that Crimea is just a hop, skip, and a jump across the puddle of the, of the, of the Black Sea, or the Caspian Sea, one of those seas. Just a hop, skip, and a jump across the puddle, and you're now into the Middle East. You're into Turkey. It isn't far removed from Syria, which is turning out to be a puppet government of Russia on the very borders of Israel. This is in an alarming development. And if we are to believe Bible prophecy, and if it is true, if it is true, and what it says is true, and this is the beginning of the end, church, we are in a very unusual and difficult place to be. But it is not one without promise of great supernatural intervention and power. I believe revival can still be seized from the jaws of the enemy. And it depends upon something that is unique to us. The Baptists don't have it. The Catholics don't have it. The Presbyterians, the Mormons, the Jehovah Witnesses, the Scientologists, none of those guys have it. But we Pentecostals have it. It is that well of water flowing up out of the innermost part of our being. The Holy Spirit that flows out of us. Isaac followed hard on the heels of his father, Abraham. And as, as his father passed on, Isaac, moving about the same territory that God had promised them, the Canaan land, came back across the old campgrounds and the old places where he and his father had camped in times past and found there wells that his father had dug through hard work and effort and labored in the desert sand in the heat of the day, had dug those wells and produced water for the feeding of their herds. Amen. And when Isaac found them, he found them in a sorry condition, for they had been stopped up by the Philistines. The Philistines didn't want Isaac wandering around in this wilderness. Even though the Philistines weren't living there, they didn't want Isaac living there. They didn't want anybody to have it. If they weren't going to have it, they didn't want anybody to have it. So they tried to stop the movement of the people of God by blocking the wells. But Isaac rediscovered those old wells his father had dug. And he dug them again and opened them up. And he called them by the old names his father had called them. I want to tell you, church, we must never lose our appreciation uh, for the work of those that have gone before us, our elders, like my dad and my mom. We stand on the shoulders of giants. And what we have today was fought for and labored for and sacrificed for. And folks fasted and done without food. And they did without homes. And they drove junkers and clunkers 
to bring the gospel to a part of the country that was a barren wilderness where there were no wells. And they worked to dig those wells. Some of our young folks may be enticed by wells in well-watered green pastures elsewhere. But the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. You could have grown up in a barren desert wilderness where you were lucky to have a well. And then you could have thought, well, I could do better than this and I'm going to move on to greener pastures and go somewhere else where I can live in the lap of spiritual Pentecostal luxury and have all the features, advantages, and benefits of a mega Pentecostal church. But I want to tell you something. Somewhere there needs to be an Isaac going back into the desert and digging those old wells his father dug and calling them by the names. Don't go and rename those wells. People that want to rename some church that has been planted by a pioneer... The only reason they're doing that is to re-identify that church with them. But we need to appreciate those who went before us. The truth they stood for. The lives they lived. And the gospel they died for. We need to appreciate it. And call it what it is. Oh, hallelujah. Let's give God a hand praise. But Isaac didn't stop there with just reopening old wells. He didn't say, okay, we got our little four and no more, and that's all we need. He was not content with having maintained what he was given, but he progressed further and went further. And when he left the landscape, there were some wells that Isaac dug that Abraham had nothing to do with. Hallelujah. This is good stuff. He dug three new wells. And he still had a Philistine problem. Help, Lord, there's a Philistine in my well. He dug another new well and he named it Isaac because the Philistines came along and said, Look, we got water rights here. This cannot be your well. We own the water rights to this land. He wasn't big enough. To fight them off or to deal with it. So he said, all right, there's plenty of other places I can dig wells. You can take this one. I'll move on and find another place. He named that well Isaac, which means argument. Amen. If you're going to do anything for God, don't expect to do it without an argument. Right. Don't expect to do it without a fight. The devil is going to put a fight on our hands. He's going to disagree with us being here. He's going to argue and say, look, I got the water rights to Boston Spa. I got the water rights to Albany. I got the water rights. Uh, I got the water rights to all the Saratoga County and areas. I got the water rights. No, he don't. There's a well of living water springing up in my soul. Hallelujah. So sometimes you just cut your losses and move on. But you don't give up. He moved on to another place. He dug another well. The same story came along. The Philistines came along. Argued, fussed with him. Fought with him over that one. He named that well Sitna. Sitna, which means opposition. Opposition. Amen. Same old, same old. Sometimes we get weary with fighting the devil, don't we? Amen. We go in there and we work and we labor and we dig it out. 
You dig that Bible study out, you work hard, you're about lesson four, and all of a sudden all kind of excuses come up where you can't, well, they can't finish the Bible study. Things happen and they move off and, and you get discouraged and, oh, well, I, I gave it a good try. I, I taught them, I tried. I just guess I can't do it. I'm not passing the faith. I'm just not good enough. I can't do it. Oh, listen, I've had more Bible studies canceled on me than I've ever finished. And I haven't had a Bible study yet when the phone didn't ring in the middle of it. Or some excuse that I can't do this and I can't do that. But you just keep doing it. You just keep going back. Hallelujah. You've got to expect that the devil is going to oppose us. You've got to expect he's going to argue with it. You've got to expect that there's going to be a fight and a battle on your hands to do anything. You've got to expect it. And you just go on and do it. Well, he couldn't get any great work done there, so he moved on. He finally found another place. He dug a well, and this time, this time they left him alone. This time they said, look, you know, we just don't, we just, this guy's not going to stop digging wells, so let's just let him alone. You know, the devil, if he were smart, he'd wise up. He'd realize the more he persecutes the church, the bigger it gets. The more he fights the church, the more powerful spiritually it gets. The more he resists the will of God, the more he gets trampled on. If he were smart, he'd wake up and he'd realize, listen, leave those people alone. Because if, if you leave them alone, they'll dig a well and they'll stop there. But if you don't leave them alone, they'll be planting wells all over the place. It's good stuff. He said, finally, we'll name this one Rehoboth, which means room enough. Room enough. There's finally a place where there's room enough for us. Finally a place where there's an open door. Finally a place where there's a springboard for the greater. For a revival to come. For ministry to take place. And folks, it's going to happen if we will prevail. The secret is to prevail. Yes. Hallelujah. Prevailing prayer has great power. Hallelujah. Oh, there's always going to be a Philistine in the way. But if he don't get out of the way, he won't be in the way long. Amen. All it takes is a little one among us, a little David among us, to say that Philistine's in my well. He's in my valley. He's in my camp. He's in my ears. He's in my head. I'm tired of it. Hallelujah. Just give me five smooth stones and faith in God. Hallelujah. I'm taking him out of here. He's gone. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter, the Bible talks about the end times, which I believe is descriptive of where we are right now. Paul said in verse 5, 2 Thessalonians 2 and 5, Remember you not, when I was yet with you, I told you these things, and now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And, even, and then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. This uh, verses 6 and 7 here that talk about something withholding the spirit of iniquity. I believe the spirit of iniquity is here. Our, our President Obama, who ran on the campaign of transparency, he was going to have the most transparent administration uh, ever. But 
yet the lawlessness that is going along with his administration, the lawlessness, already 30 times he's changed his own health care law. And he's sworn as President of the United States to uphold the law of the land, and he got this one passed, and for political expediency and convenience to save the Democratic Party in this year's elections, he's busy, busy, busy behind the scenes taking the law apart that he got passed. This transparent president is busy, busy, busy spying on the citizens of the United States and using all the power of the government to know every phone call you ever make and all the information you ever process digitally online. Amen. He's hiding all that away in Utah. And he's supposed to be transparent. While using the IRS to harass those people who have political viewpoints that are opposed to his. The same thing Nixon did in Watergate. Used the IRS against his political opponents. Now Obama's doing it and looks like getting away with it. Amen. At Lois Lerner pleading the fifth, pleading the fifth, but her emails incriminate her. And somewhere underneath all this, there's a stink pot in Denmark. And the liberal media of the United States will not touch the subject. They give this president and this administration a pass. If it weren't for Fox News and Rush Limbaugh, you wouldn't know anything about this stuff. Most transparent. But the spirit of lawlessness is here. And it's not just America. Amen. Because it's in Putin too. To break international laws and to invade countries and to take away land from other countries and from other people. And it's all part of what's about to take place in the world. And the Bible talks about all of this. But Jesus spoke of another well. In John 7, 37, 30 through 39, of the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood crying, saying, If any man thirst, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. But this spake he of the Holy Spirit. Which they should receive, which they that believed on him should receive. Only he was not yet given because he was not yet glorified. Jesus talked about a well. He sat down at a well, and a woman came that had water, and, and they talked about water. And Jesus said, "I got water. You'll never thirst of again if you drink my water. Amen. You'll never thirst again. I'm gonna put a well. And on the day of Pentecost, there was a cloud burst in heaven." And a rushing, mighty, thundering wind came in an upper room. And the water of the Holy Spirit was poured out in tongues of fire upon them. And that well of living water began to flow out of them and to spring up. And immediately there was a revival. Within hours, 3,000 people were baptized. Hallelujah, hallelujah. That's the well Jesus talked about. Isaac's third well was that it was the ticket. It was the place where there was room enough. The church must not quit striving. We must not quit trying. We must not quit fasting. We must not quit praying. We must not quit worshiping. We must not quit witnessing. We must not stop teaching Bible studies. We must not stop going to church. We must not stop our children from going to church by staying home. Uh, because they got school the next day or whatever excuse that we use not to go to church. We need to go to church. The Bible said, Hebrews 
13 and 17, even so much the more so as you see that day approaching. I'm getting tired. Who's going to help me out here? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I believe we live in a spiritual climate where things that thought were impossible are possible. And where anything can happen. And where there can be divine and angelic intervention in our lives. We will never forget the week of May 2009, was it, Travis? When the Lord caused my wife to have a vision. A dream of, a, of explosions, bombs and bullets going off everywhere, and Travis in the middle of it. Two days later, Brother Heller had a vision, and he saw Travis's face in full battle rattle, and the bullets coming, and the explosion, and he told us about it. Two days after that, that was a Wednesday, two days after that, my son was in an ambush that was a fatal ambush to, to uh, another soldier there in that battle, in a two-and-a-half-hour battle. As he, on the turret gun of his Humvee, which was RPG'd four times, fought. And I asked him after the, I asked him afterwards, I said, Son, what were you thinking of when, uh, when all these bullets were coming? He told me, he said, afterwards, he said, my, my plexiglass uh, uh, screen all around just shattered from all the bullets. You couldn't see through the glass anymore. And the truck had been hit with four RPGs. He said, what were you thinking about? He said, I was just... He said, I was thinking of scriptures were coming to my mind. I don't even know where they were coming from. But I was just shouting scriptures out and firing the machine gun as fast as I could, hollering scriptures out. I said, yeah, son, you were giving them Bible and bullets. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Divine intervention can take place. Missionary to Brazil, Brother Benny DeMerchant, started in 1965, still on the field over 40 years, has told of many time of flying in his Cessna Cub airplane and the engine going out and cylinders popping off and crankshafts popping in and just uh, always at the most convenient place in the jungle there'd be a river where he could land on it, always just within minutes of of death. Amen. And the many times that God was with him. At one time he said he was flying and he'd been up all day and he was tired and he fell asleep and he had the plane going at 60 degree heading and he, and he fell asleep. And he said at one point he looked over uh, to the co-pilot seat next to him and there was a middle-aged man dressed in full pilot regalia and uniform staring straight ahead and with his hands on the extra steering column and keeping it right at 60 degrees true. And he fell back asleep. And then a little while later he woke up and the seat was empty. And, and the man was not there. He was gone. Amen. I'll tell you, God can put an angel right where we need him to save us in a time of trouble. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Aaron Blevins. Uh, was, is, is an apostolic young man who fought in Iraq. An apostolic boy, one of us, United Pentecostal. And this is his book here, The Widowmaker. He told of a day when he was, uh, he was the striker, uh, the striker unit, and he was the driver. He told of a day when they were out on a patrol, and the Lord spoke to him and said, 
uh, Aaron, you're going to have to make a decision that will affect the lives of all of your units very shortly. And then right after that, a call came in on the radio that there was a suspected terrorist, a bomber, driving a vehicle toward them in their direction. So he said he stepped on the gas and he was hitting 70 miles an hour in excess of that uh, of the speed limit that that vehicle should take and he hit, was hitting that road and right sure enough here comes this speeding truck this vehicle with a bomb in it coming right to the same intersection heading right toward him and he said the uh, you know he he made eye contact with the driver of the vehicle as he was looking through his hatch he made eye and he just he, he just rammed it and he smashed it you know and threw the truck up in the air and uh, that the the detonation didn't take place because the man didn't trigger it. Uh, but that, that was intended for him and for his comrades as they discovered later the vehicle loaded with, with, with uh, a bomb, bomb material. And uh, it was not long after that that they got pinned down in a sniper situation. And as they uh, dealt with it, got out and began to de deal with it, uh, Aaron Blevins <coughs> um, and uh, his unit w went into a home where, uh, where gunfire had come from. And there they found and cornered some people, and he went into this particular room, and the Master Sergeant Johnson was behind him. And, uh, you know, they go in looking looking in all different directions, but for some reason, he was looking one way, and the Master Sergeant was not looking in the other direction, and there was a Iraqi woman standing there with a loaded gun aiming. And, and the next thing Aaron felt was the cold barrel of the gun on his head. Uh, she had caught him, had the drop on him, and all she had to do was pull the trigger. But she didn't pull the trigger, and he spun around and looked at her, and she looked at him. And she shook and trembled, but she didn't pull the trigger. And then, then they captured her and bound her and tied her up and brought an, inter, uh, an interpreter into the room to translate and to talk to her. And, and he could see that the interpreter and the master sergeant kept looking at him and her and had a disturbed look on their face uh, as they were interpreting. He didn't understand the language, so he didn't know what was going on. But... Uh, uh, the woman apologized to him and said, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And he turned to her and cut her loose and said, I forgive you. The master sergeant had a funny look on his face as they walked away. It turned out that the woman said that she had seen him driving a striker that struck her husband one day as he was running across the street, an unavoidable tragic accident, struck and killed her husband, and so she was going to kill this man. And so time went by, months went by. His deployment was over. He was finally back home in the United States. He got a call one day from one of his soldier buddies named Craig. And Craig said, you know, you remember that time back that day when we went in that home and, and that, that woman had the drop on you? And, you know, you know what she said? Master Sergeant Johnson told me afterwards what she said. I'm going to read it for you. Let me... His voice began to crack when he spoke these words. Blevins, the woman told the interpreter that she saw an angel stand between you and her. And he said, this is God's son. God loves him and you. You do not have the authority to take his life. Yes. Hallelujah. A Muslim woman, of course, who would believe in angels, you know, saw an angel and it spoke to her. And saved his life. Amen. That's just one of many stories of divine intervention, miraculous intervention that can take place in the life of an apostolic, 
in the middle of a war zone, in the middle of a battle, in the middle of a fight. And a life like that can change the lives of others. And when he left Iraq, he left people baptized in Jesus' name, speaking in tongues that didn't have the Holy Ghost or even believe in Jesus before he went. That's the power of the well that is in us. There's a well in us. Hallelujah. Now, there's a difference between will and heart. Some people are very strong-willed. And with their mind and their rational ability, they can control things and themselves. They're strong-willed. And they're used to reasoning things out and making decisions and can stick by those decisions with iron will. But there's something stronger than the will of the mind, and that is the heart is stronger than the mind. The Bible says love is stronger than death. And love is something that gets in our heart. Hallelujah. And I want to tell you, and young people, some of you who, who you go to senior camp and you, you, get, you get refilled with the Holy Ghost in senior camp, you get blessed, but you make that last you the whole year. I don't ever see you shout or dance or go up in the prayer room and pray or really do any kind of prayerful, any, any, I don't see any of the evidence that you exhibited at senior camp back here for a whole year. Now that was good enough just barely to keep you saved and out of the world and in the church through your school years. But you can live higher than that. You can live better than that. You can have more power than that. And the same is true for people that are not so young but do the same things. Uh, you know, your strong will can keep you in the church. Amen. But there's something that's stronger than your will, and that's your heart. And it's when it gets in your heart, you cannot escape something that's in your heart. Your will is not stronger than your heart. Just fall in love sometime and see if you don't find out what I'm telling you is true. The reason why you get heart broke is because you couldn't have your will. Hallelujah. If Jesus could get deep down inside of our heart, even in the battle, even in the fight, even in the well digging, in the, in the argument, in the opposition, and all the struggles that we go through, if he could get deep down in our heart, even though Satan could pull us away from God and pull us out of the church for a while and get us to do things we never thought we would do, incredible, terrible things that we never thought we would do, even if he can, there's something in the heart that's stronger than the will that caved. And it can bring you to God and never let you get away from God. Never, never let you escape. If it's really in your heart, amen, doesn't matter the battle in your head, you will never be able to escape. Jesus put that well of living water in the safest deposit box that we have that is in our innermost being, which is a euphemism, a metaphor for our heart. It's in our heart. Hallelujah. Amen. I can't get away from the Holy Ghost. Even there were times when I tried. There were times that I thought the only way I could get out of a bad situation is backslide out of it. Hallelujah. But there's something about the Holy Ghost that won't give up and won't let go. Hallelujah. And we can unleash that to our world. I'm closing this morning. Hallelujah. 
we should take a note from the, God, the Spirit's message to the early church. In, in Revelations chapter 2 and 3, the seven churches of Asia Minor, the Spirit's word to them. Number one, return to your first love. Number two, be faithful in tribulation. Number three, clean out the doctrine of Balaam, which is compromised doctrine. Number four, get rid of the Jezebel spirit. The fornicating and adultering and lustful spirit. Get, get, it, get rid of it. Number, number five, stop being dead. Stop being dead. Stop pretending to be alive when you're dead. Get alive. And number six, keep loving one another. The church of Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love, keep loving one another. Number seven, repent of your lukewarmness because it's as bad as being dead. He'd rather have you cold as to be lukewarm. Repent of the lukewarmness. If there was ever a word that described the apostolic church in this century, in perhaps the last year or two before the coming of the Lord, it is a lukewarm church that cannot get a spiritual revival going, that will not believe that we could be in the end times and that all hell is about to break loose. And what are we doing to stop it? Where is the wells that we ought to be digging? There are some teenagers that could spark a fire revival in your generation. There's some young adults here who now finally have a job and a car and some money and an income. And you've got means of transportation. And you feel a call to the ministry. Where's the well you're going to dig? Why can't we start a preaching point in Albany? Why can't we start a preaching point in Grace Falls? This next 12 months, I challenge you young adults, amen, to get on fire for God and go to Albany and get something started. I challenge you to get up and do it. Dig a well. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of your ministry by doing the work of an evangelist. Show the world, the church of the Lord and the devil, what a soul winner you are. And you don't need permission to do that. All you need is unction to do it. There's a well springing up and it wants to come out and spill over into the lives of people all around us. Let's give God a hand praise. It's one minute to twelve and I'm going to close with this story. Sister Nona Freeman, missionary to Africa, told Brother Simeon Young Sr. years ago. She said that she spoke about a vision God had given her many years ago while they were serving as missionaries. And they had been on an extended fast and were seeking God for revival. <clears throat> and one morning during this season of prayer and fasting, she was awakened by a presence in her room. And she recovered from the initial shock of this experience. She said she observed a being clothed with a long flowing robe from which emanated streams of light. And the presence approached her and said, Don't be afraid. I've come to give you the secret of revival. And the angelic visitor unrolled a scroll containing the words of John 7:38. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And when he said that, the emphasis was on the word flow, 
out of his bellies shall flow rivers of living water. <clears throat> the messenger told her, God's people were using too much human energy. There was too much scheming and planning and that human knowledge was the hindrance for revival. She was further told that revival comes when the Spirit flows through the church. And Nona asked, what hinders the flowing of the Spirit? The messenger listed 14 things which keep the Spirit flowing, but she had all recorded all of them in her Bible, but so many years had passed and she was now retired the old Bible and was using a new Bible and could only remember 10 of those things that stopped the flow of the Spirit, and they are as follows. Resentment, bitterness, criticism, judgmentalism. Oh, how easy it is to be judgmental. But how inappropriate. People that live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Hallelujah. Amen. Jesus said, he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. There's not, there's not a soul of us that doesn't have something to deal with in our life, some issue that God's working on us spiritually. Who are we to decide whether somebody else is, you know, how, where they're at spiritually? That's God's business. He didn't call us to judge our brothers and sisters. He called us to love them. You see somebody struggling with something, you need to pray them through. You need to love them through. You need to help them through. Don't be afraid to confront them, but do it with love, not with judgment. Lust. And lust is not just, you know, you say that word, all people think, well, you know, well, that's, you know, sexual desire. No, lust could be anything. You could lust for food. You could lust for money and be selfish and stingy and greedy with God and people who have need that God wants to lay on your heart to help somebody in need and you won't do it because you're greedy. That's lust for money. You can lust for fame. You could lust for friends. You could lust for power. Amen. There's any number of things that we could lust for, crave, and desire. That desire gets ahead of what we need to be pouring our energies in toward God. If we could trade in lust for a real move of prayer in our lives. So that prayer becomes the best hour of the day that we spend in our best buddy and friend. And we love it every time we get down to pray. We absolutely love it. Where it's not a drudgery or a bore or a pain, but it's something that we can actually look forward to. Trade your lust for prayer. Complaining. Rebellion. Goes without saying. Jealousy. Ambition. And the desire to have the name of being spiritual, but not being spiritual. She said she was told the Spirit would be made visible to her eyes. And what she saw was a rainbow-colored light that was the consistency of flowing water. You can stand together. I'm getting ready to close. You'll cue up that CD. She saw. She said, I, you're going to be able to see the Spirit. And she saw it, a rainbow-colored light that looked like water flowing. And as she beheld it, she was taken to a service in one of our churches and the preacher was preaching the, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And the people were saying amen. Well, as the angel, as she watched, the angel asked her, said, do you feel the deadness and the formality? She acknowledged the deadness. 
the Spirit carried her to another Pentecostal service, and the preacher was preaching the same sermon the first preacher had been preaching. But there was a difference. Light was pouring into the top of his head and flowing out of his hands as he ministered God's Word. She observed that this congregation was somewhat subdued in their response. The light was pouring into them and then flowing out of them. She told me that into this setting walked a man with a sneer on his face that seemed to say, you won't get me. And he sat in the back room of the room and he, and he sat back there by a smiling older couple that made room for him. And the Spirit of God flowed out of that couple and it encircled the snickering man who then cried out, My God, I'm lost. And he fell to the floor full length and was shortly filled with the Holy Ghost. Sister Freeman says she saw the Spirit flowing in every direction from the church and that even a woman outside of the church was encircled by the Spirit and filled with the Holy Ghost. I want to tell you something, church. This is our heritage. It's our promise. It's everything we can and should be. It's what I believe we are. By and large and for the most extent, and I know for sure we've had services and do have services where this same kind of energy takes place in our midst. But I'm hungry for something greater than ever. I'm looking for that well called Rehoboth. Amen. Well, we can finally move into that position where there's room enough. Amen. We're in the process of starting a daughter work in Sierra Leone through Ajibu, uh, whom we are supporting as a missionary. He's doing a great work for God. Amen. They're already beginning to do the work to process his license. He's teaching Bible studies. He's teaching Prince's mom and dad and grandmother. He's teaching uh, a Muslim woman. He's teaching his own uncle and cousin. Amen. And, and within the next year, I believe he'll have a band of people together. He'll be baptizing. They'll be getting the Holy Ghost. I'm going to fly to Sierra Leone and see what the Lord is doing and come back and tell you the good things God is doing. But listen, if it is near the end time and we've only got a year or two or a handful of years, amen. Church, let's not continue to be this size. Let's get out of our routine. Let's get out of this just every day coming together. And let's start planting churches and building the work of God and raising up and training leaders. I'm ready to do it. With the time that's allotted me, I'm ready to do it. Hallelujah.